Hello and welcome to another episode of The Jimmy Rex Show. Today's guest is John Gordon. He's a best-selling author of over 20 books, including The Power of Positive Thinking, The Power of a Positive Team, uh, Relationship Grit, The Garden, The Energy Bus, The Carpenter. These are all amazing books. He's been a best-selling author many, many times over. He's one of the most sought-after speakers in the country. And today on the podcast, John goes through with us how to kind of deal with the world that we're living in, how to get through hard times and keep a positive attitude. And so he's very uh, good message. I felt like getting close to the end of the year here, wanted to bring John on and talk about how we can keep a great mindset going into 2021. It's been a been a weird year, 2020. It's been a rough year for a lot of people, but hopefully it's been a year of growth, a year where you've been able to learn a lot about yourself and just become a better version of who you want to be. And so John talks a lot about that on the show. We'll get into a few of his concepts for his books. And without further ado, Let's get to it with John Gordon. The world's changed a lot the last few months, and uh, it's it's a pretty crazy world out there right now. And one thing that, you know, in your world, being a public speaker, you have over 20 books that you've authored and you're speaking all the time. Um, how has it changed your world and your life not being able to go do the speaking and everything else, John? Well, I'm no longer speaking on stages. So now for me, it's it's virtual keynotes, it's Zooms. The mission and vision has remained the same, right? To encourage and inspire as many people as possible, one person at a time. But you have to adapt, you have to innovate. And so now I'm just finding new ways to do that. Do I miss the stage? Yes. I don't really miss the travel though. The plane travel was was a lot, over 80 to 90 events every single year, a lot of days on the road. So it has been nice to be home more, but I'm now doing a ton of Zoom. Sometimes I'll do two keynotes in a day. Wow. Two keynotes. So in that way, my world has changed like that. I'm video conferencing. I'm Zooming. I'm speaking to people that way, finding a new way to speak. We're doing virtual trainings where we had all these physical events for our Power Positive Leadership Program, and now we're doing virtual training. So we've done three of those, and it's really cool. We put it together in a month. Wow. And literally had a new program that we're now actually going to share even after COVID, right? We're going to still share this virtual program. So we actually got better in many ways because of it, but it's been different. You know, it's, well, you, you talk about adapting a lot in your books and things like that. Like you, it sounds like you were able to pivot very quickly. How do you help? Like there's so many people right now that are struggling to make that pivot or trying to adapt to this, this new different, you know, world that we're living in. What advice do you have for them? you have to find the opportunity and the challenge. So you have to look at what is my mission? What is my purpose? And then how can I deliver it in a different way? So that's how you have to adapt. That's how you have to innovate. You can't say, well, we're not having speaking on stages. So I'll just wait till we do that. No, you still find a way to do it. So it's a mindset where you embrace change. You look at the past also and see which organizations, which people thrived during change. Look at the Great Recession. Look at the Great Depression. We know that people who succeed, succeeded during the Great Depression and the Great Recession, they all had the same characteristic in terms of change. They embraced it. So instead of resisting it, they rode the wave to a successful future. Those who actually resisted it got crushed by the wave. So just how you view the change and embrace it, embrace it, and how you think about it will determine whether you will succeed or not. Wow, that's great advice. So how did you decide to go into this world? I mean, speaker, author, again, I mean, you've authored so many different books. Um, 
you really made a huge impact on the world with all the advice that you've been able to put together and this information you've been able to deliver. How did you decide to go into that world? Did you always want to kind of be a, an influencer or a public speaker in these things? No, I was um, miserable and negative and my wife had had enough of my negativity and she said, I, I love you, but I'm not going to spend my life with someone who makes me so miserable. You need to change. I was 31 years old, two small children. My life was falling apart. I lost my job during the dot-com crash and I was like, okay, what am I born to do? Why am I here? Why am I so miserable? And writing and speaking came to me. It literally just came to me. I wanted to inspire others the way I was inspired. I thought to myself, what would I want to do where I showed up every day and enjoyed doing it? And for some reason, that is something I thought I would enjoy. I had started a nonprofit organization called the Phoenix Organization when I was in Atlanta in my 20s. I had a bar and bucket. I started this nonprofit. I'm getting all these young people involved. So I loved the whole getting people involved, speaking, encouraging. And every month we would have a meeting and I would speak at the meeting. And I remember liking that and, and enjoying that. So I thought, okay, can I do this for a career? And when that came to me, I was like, all right, I'm, I'm, I'm going to give it a shot. And that began this journey of doing this work. I started a newsletter, five subscribers, my mother, my brother, <laughs> my best friend from college, like they were getting this newsletter, whether they liked it or not, but people started sharing it. It started to grow. And that newsletter pretty much led to everything. It led to speaking engagements. It led to a book deal, people reading my, my messages. And this was before blogs and before Twitter and social media. And so that was sort of the, the journey I went on. And that led to eventually saying, okay, I can, I can do this. But I actually had this restaurant, Moe's Southwest Grill. I was the first Moe's in Florida. Only the six Moe's in the entire country. Second mortgage my home. $20,000 in credit cards to open this Moe's. Because I can't just be a writer and speaker, right? I have to find a way to support the family. And so after losing my job, we put everything we had into this Moe's to see if we can make some money and make a living. And that would allow me then write and speak. That was the goal, right? Not sure how it would work out. So I'm wiping tables down and I'm 31. And this woman was sitting there and she was a managing partner of New York Life in, in Jacksonville. Her name is Robin Wabi. And we became friends after that. And Robin said, you know, started talking to me. She thought I just worked there. I said, well, I actually own this place. She said, oh, oh, really? I said, yeah, I'm also a motivational speaker. And I had not given one talk yet, but I said I was a motivational speaker. She goes, oh, you should speak to my company. I said, okay, I'd love to. Free talk. I did it. I'm like, okay, maybe I can do this. And that began the journey. Wow, that's a really fun way to kind of get started in uh, and to see what's kind of become of it. It's really cool. So, I mean, to be able to put as much information out there as you do, speaking as often as you do, the books you write, how much are you studying a day and how do you decide what to gather from or how to pick up the information, what you do study? I don't study a lot in terms of like, oh, I want to write this book. I need to study it. I write what I'm experiencing. I write what I see there's a need. I write what I'm supposed to write. I'm just open to what my next book is. And so when I wrote The Energy Bus, that just came to me on a walk. Literally, things were not going well. I decided to write and speak. I had sold the restaurants. And now I'm like, okay, I'm going to write and speak. But what am I going to write and speak about? And the energy bus came to me on a walk. I wrote it in three and a half weeks of divine inspiration, rejected wow. by over 30 publishers, not sure what was going to happen. And that book, when it came out, when it was finally published by John Wally and Sons, wasn't even carried in bookstores. So I go on a 20th city tour, paid for it myself, 
we had five people in one city, 10 people in another, 20 people in another. The most people we had were 100 people in Des Moines, Iowa. They thought Jeff Gordon was coming. That's why they <laughs> – that's, that's not a joke. That's a true story. <laughs> funny, funny thing, Jimmy, the other day I did this event and literally the guy introduced me as Jeff Gordon. <laughs> Crazy. So, so I get back, don't know my future holds, but I know, okay, you know, I just got to go live this mission and vision every day. And that's what I started doing. And next thing you know, people started reading the energy bus, started getting out there. So that would lead me to speak. And then I learned the no complaining rule from this company. I thought that would be a great idea for a book. Met the CEO. Thought that'd be a great idea that they have this no complaining rule. So I wrote that. And then I was speaking to the Atlanta Falcons and I was leaving training camp and I had this idea, training camp. I'm going to write a book about training camp. That became the next book, Shark and Goldfish, Waves of Change. It was during the Great Recession. So I was thinking, I want to write a book about overcoming change and dealing with change because I had lost my job during the dot-com crash. So I knew what that was like. So I wanted to write that. Then Soup, Create a Culture of Greatness. So each book has led to the next. And then the, 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 the two cornerstones are the power of positive leadership and the power of a positive team. Because in working with all these organizations, I've got to meet incredible leaders, Dabo Sweeney, Sean McVay, right? Doug Conan, Campbell Soup, you name it. Uh, you know, Evan Spiegel with Snapchat, he read The Power of Positive Leadership. Got a chance to meet all these different people. And I want to write about what makes great leaders great and what makes great teams great. And all that I've learned working with these teams and how I've seen these leaders and organizations lead with positivity and the real positivity, because there's this misconception that positive is Pollyanna or that it always has to be nice or, or fake. And so I want to write about like real positivity, overcoming adversity, how the fact that pessimists don't change the world, it's the optimist. And I want to put together what I learned from these amazing leaders. So, so that really became the cornerstone of, of these two books that I wanted to write. And I probably speak 90% on those messages of positive leadership and positive teams. But then, you know, new, new ideas have come. And when they come, I'm like, okay, like the garden, that's a recent book. I'm walking one day and literally it just comes to me, the five D's that we have to deal with and that we're dealing with that's wreaking havoc on us. Doubt, discouragement, distortion, which are lies, negative thoughts and fear, distractions and division. Wrote this before the pandemic, December 25th to January 8th, having no idea a pandemic was coming and there was going to be so much anxiety and fear. So so I'm just telling you sort of how the process works. No, Keep and I, I, I appreciate that. And I was going to touch base on a few of those. On the, the book, The Garden, because um, it is, it's, it talks about how to overcome fear, anxiety, and stress. So for people listening, what are the couple of the key things? Because that's, I think, prevalent right now, right, with the elections and with the, the COVID and everything else. So what are some of the tricks or um things that you teach in that book to overcome anxiety, stress, and fear? Well, one of the biggest things I teach is that the negative thoughts that you have are not coming from you. People often think that they do, but here's the next question. If you think your negative thoughts come from you, who would ever choose to have a negative thought? I would never choose a negative thought, right? When you're dreaming, having a nightmare, are you choosing those thoughts? No. Thoughts are always coming in. You're in the shower. Idea comes. Did you choose it? No. So we all have that real understanding that negative thoughts are not coming from us. They come in, right, from consciousness. The brain is the hardware. It's where activation happens. No one has ever found a thought inside of a brain. And so the idea is that just because you have a negative thought doesn't mean you have to believe it. Don't believe the lies that they tell because they sabotage you. They tell you're not good enough. You're not going to make it. We're not going to get through this time. It's going to be like this forever. And so we really can get into a, a place of discouragement. And so 
one of the keys I teach in that book is to make sure that you're always encouraging yourself and encouraging others. The word encourage means to put courage into. So put courage into yourself, put courage into others. And my favorite thing is to talk about the fact that, well, it's the best advice from Dr. James Gills, only person on the planet to complete six double Ironman triathlons, which means you do an Ironman, a day later do another one. And the last time he did it, he was 59 years old. And he was asked how he did it. He said this, I've learned to talk to myself instead of listen to myself. So as we just talked about, we're listening to the fear, the negativity, the doubt. The key is to continually talk to yourself with positive words of encouragement, speak truth to the lies. And when you speak truth, when you encourage, you're able to move forward with optimism, belief, and positivity. And every day, you got to feed yourself. The mind is like a garden. You got to weed the negative, feed the positive. And each day you do that, you create a fertile mind that's ready for great things to happen. And that's what I've done over the past 15 years as someone who was, who was really negative, who was depressed, who dealt with anxiety, who deals with fear. And I'm honestly dealing with a little anxiety right now with everything going on. It's, and I'm not choosing it. It's just coming in. I yeah. can feel it. It's like this, this collective energy in the air. You can cut with a knife. I think most people can feel it. And I'm, a, I'm an empath. So I feel the collective energy that people feel. Which is, which is blessing and a curse at times because it gives me the energy and the things I need to write about, but it also sometimes can bring me down. So I'm actually having to deploy the very things that I wrote about in that book right now to make sure I'm doing that. And so that's, that's really a key is like understanding negative thoughts, understanding that you can feed yourself every day, and also understand that the word anxious means divided. Literally at its Greek root word, it means divided. And so when you're anxious, you feel divided. So how can we unite with people that we love? How can we unite to ourself? For some, it's yoga, meditation. For me, it's prayer, right? Unite to self, unite spiritually. And the more we connect and unite and surrender and trust, the less doubt we have. So trust is a big part of it. It's hard to trust, but trust and surrender is key to overcoming the anxiety that we feel. So how do you personally go about talking to yourself? And how do you know when you're talking to yourself? Like, do you do it out loud? Or how do you know when you're talking to yourself versus these thoughts that are just coming in these negative thoughts well you're never choosing the negative thought so you wouldn't talk to yourself in a negative thought what happens is it comes in so fast that you think it's from you mm. so then you reinforce it well first actually you believe it you believe the lie then you reinforce it then you repeat it and then you actually feel guilty for having those thoughts in the first place happens sure. so often once you recognize it it's so like it's it's so freeing there's so much freedom in knowing your negative thoughts are not coming from you. So stop beating yourself up for the thoughts that you have had because you didn't choose them. So now your job is to make sure that you're constantly and continually speaking positive words of encouragement. So on the left side of a piece of paper, you write down the negative thoughts that often come in for you. On the right side, you write down words of truth and encouragement. Like the truth is you're here to do great things. You were never meant to be average. The truth is the best is yet to come if you believe it and you work hard to create it. The truth is we will get through this even though it, it doesn't feel like it. The truth is there's an ebb and flow. We have these ups and downs in the course of our life and we go down and then we, we almost always come back up if we allow ourselves to follow that path. The key is so many times we go down and what do we do? We escape, we jump off and we never actually ride it back up. And so that's really important to understand the ebb and flow of thought and life. So I tell myself, like last couple of days, been rough. I tell myself, you know what? 
just just keep trusting. Control what you control. Keep making a difference. Keep encouraging others. Keep doing the work that you're here to do. And honestly, I say let God take care of the rest. It's not yeah. up to me. I'm just here to be a good person, to make a difference, to encourage others. And that's all that I can do. No, I think that's great. Well, you talk a lot about positivity. I know in a lot of your speaking, that's what you kind of focus on. And in your book, The Energy Bus, it's, um, it's 10 rules to feel like um, to fill your life with positive energy. So what are a couple, two or three things or key things or rules, I guess you could use the word, um, that people can use if they're feeling, you know, that they need to add some positivity to their life that people can use to do that? We have to understand that fear is the number one thing that keeps us from our, our destiny and fear wreaks havoc on us. So what's the antidote to fear? Well, in the energy bus, also in the garden, I talk about love, love your passengers in the energy bus, love life as I share in the garden. And if you love it, you won't fear it. So love and fear can't coexist at the same exact moment. And so when you're loving something, fear dissipates, love casts out fear. And so when I talk to professional athletes, for instance, when that fear is coming in, I talk about just loving the moment, loving the opportunity to compete, loving just the fact that the process, like when you love the process, you love what the process produces. So often we allow the fear, the expectations, and the, and the, the worrisome thoughts of the fact that we're not going to perform well affect our performance. But when you're just loving the opportunity and loving the moment, you perform at a higher level. So for me, it's about getting back to the love that you had and have for your craft, for your job, for your game, for your life, for your family. And again, love is the most powerful strategy of all. And then there's appreciation. When you appreciate, you elevate. So in that moment, like I'm getting ready to give a talk. I'm very nervous, right? I'm very nervous. I'm worried about what the, what the audience is thinking. I don't want to mess up. I want to make sure it's a great event. I love the people I've been working with. I want to make them proud. They, they, they picked me, right? So I want to make sure that, you know, I, I make them look good. And so in that moment, I'm so full of fear and the expectation. But in that moment, what I can do is focus on the fact that I, I love speaking. I love impacting others. I love the content I'm sharing and appreciating that I get to be here in that moment right now that I get to do this work. I don't have to. And in that appreciation, it changes your heart, changes your mind. And we actually have research from HeartMath that shows when you appreciate, it really does change the energy that your heart is sending to every cell in the body and then also your brain. So athletes, the Ryder Cup, European Ryder Cup uses HeartMath and the appreciation strategy to improve their golf game. And it's why they beat the U S a lot because they, they actually, it's one of their secret weapons. They talk about is heartmath.org. Check out their, uh, their research on how the heart changes your mind and, and your performance. Wow. That's I, I'm going to check that out. Cause I, I am fascinated with the idea of right. How much positivity can you actually rewire the way that your thoughts come in, the way that your heart feels. Um, and you know, and what are some of those, best ways to do that. So that's, uh, that's fascinating to hear about. And you can, and you can rewire, like I am someone who's naturally negative, mm. but I have rewired my brain to be more positive over time. Now, when we're rewiring, well, what are we doing? We're actually making the part of the brain that activates with positivity. Uh, the neural pathway automatically goes there, right? So we're creating a, we're creating a highway instead of a dirt road. And so those thoughts more easily are expressed. But I do believe it still has to happen in the intention phase, in the mind phase, consciousness phase, energy phase, because energy always creates 
the physical energy creates matter. This is, you know, this is a little out there for some, but, but once you understand that, like it's, it's like this body language, we often talk about body language. People say, well, you know, when you put your arms back, you have this posture, right? You, you put your shoulders back. You're going to have better, better body language. I have coaches always talk about their players. They got to have better body language. Okay, great. Is it the body language though that makes them feel that way? Or the fact that there was an intention in the moment before I arched my shoulders back, there was an intention that I was actually doing that. Mm. So it happened, the energy happened before the physical moved. And so it's the energy, the intention that creates the physical. We always have to remember that. And so the more I change my perception and perspective and the state of mind of how I see the world, that starts to affect the physical structure of our brain and our body. I love it. Okay. I, I hadn't ever heard it put that way before. So that's a, I like to hear that. So the, I want to focus a lot on your last book or the latest book, The Relationship Grit that came out. Um, this one caught my attention big time. Um, I love the word grit coming to relationships because growing up, I always thought a relationship, you just had a great relationship, right? And I, as I've gotten older and been in relationships and worked on certain relationships, I've come to understand that it's more about grit. It's really about, you know, and, and the subtitle of that book is, a true story with lessons to stay together, grow together, and thrive together. And I think that grit, that fight, that work that has to go into anything to make anything great. Um, but how do you relate that in your book? Like with the divorce right now, over 50%. I mean, couples have never been in more trouble than they are, it seems like, right now. But what? Um, how does a relationship get to the point where they have that grit? It's really about the connection that you have. It's about the investment you make in the relationship. It's about the framework, right? My wife and I talk about the framework. You have to resolve to stay together. You have to say, we're going to stick it out no matter what. We're going to invest in each other. And we're going to invest in the relationship. We're not going to consume from it. It's about investing. It's about we, not me. So there's going to be times that you have to serve and sacrifice for the other person. And that's not easy. But you can't be in a great relationship, right? And be a narcissist. <laughs> you, you have to be someone who, who really serves and sacrifice and commits to your spouse, to your significant other. And then there's that team. It has to be together. You have to do it together. One person, if you want it, but the other person doesn't, it's not going to work. You have to make sure that you want it both together. And then there's that G part, which is my wife and I say, God, when we met, we were just very spiritual people, not religious, just but just spiritual. And we talked about our 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 belief. We just talked about that. We believe that God brought us together. And if you look at any addiction program, every, every addiction program has a higher power because the individual going through addiction, they're not strong enough to handle it on their own. And so that higher power helps that person overcome their addiction because they need a greater strength. Well, my wife and I feel like you need a greater strength in your marriage besides you too. You need a force that binds you together. So two cords is you and your, your significant other. You need a third cord, which is which is God in the relationship, a spiritual part that that brings you together. And what's so, the best way to bring God into your relationship or well, bring for us, it was, it, Yeah, for us, again, we didn't always have God in our relationship. And there were years early, early years, we it brought us together initially. We felt like God did. Then we sort of like forgot about God and we hate each other and we fought all the time and we almost got divorced a number of times. And that's the thing. Like there were times we should have gotten divorced or maybe shouldn't have, but we, we could have very easily. Relationship grid is about the couple that would get divorced, but shouldn't. Because if they just stay together and work on their relationship, 
they're going to find a greater intimacy and connection and love. There are some relationships that you should probably get divorced because one, if there's abuse, you got it. That's it. Like that's a done deal. If there's, if there's a, you know, a thing where it's really so toxic, so bad that you can't recover it from and you're not willing to do the work. Okay. You need to part ways. But if, if there's just the part of it where you need to work it out and just start to communicate and connect and commit to each other and show that you care, four C's, communicate, connect, commit and care. And you do those things, right? That's going to help you develop a stronger relationship. So we share a ton of ideas in the book of what you have to do, but it does take a lot of work. And for God, for instance, we just would pray. Like we started praying together. This was years later, but we started praying together and we create a covenant together where we're going to be faithful to each other for the rest of our lives. Mm -hmm. And that happened because early on in my marriage, I was like, that 31, 30, 31 year old time when I, everything was falling apart, there was some infidelity on my part. My life was falling apart. So what did I do? I'm looking outside. I'm trying to find happiness outside instead of inside the marriage. I'm thinking it's better outside instead of doing the work on the inside. Young, stupid, right? Two small children. And then I tell my wife after I changed a lot. So then I change, have this huge change in my heart. I, I change as a person. I start becoming, I become a writer and speaker. I start sharing this message. I, I live very, ever since that 30, 31 year old phase, I have lived very honorably and, and just doing everything the right way. been on the road all the time, always making sure I'm committed and devoted to my wife. And then at 40 though, I tell her the truth about what happened when I was 30, 31. So then I tell her and we share that in the book. And we talk about how that almost destroyed our marriage because she felt so betrayed. And I'm like, but I'm a different person now. She's like, yeah, but I don't care. I still knew that person then and you were that person. So you can't just like, like just use it as an excuse or absolve yourself from it. So I, I owned it and I took responsibility, of course. And then from there, what you uncover, we really believe God will cover with grace. So we uncovered it. We talked about it. And because of that, which I knew I had to tell her because we had to develop a greater intimacy. That's why I told her, not out of guilt. I knew there was something that was holding us back and I kept on being convicted that you have to tell her. So I finally told her and sure enough, that really made our relationship much stronger than ever. And that's when we came up with the prayer, came up with the covenant. And now 10 years later, I'm turning 50. I was 40 then turning 50. And now we have like this incredible marriage, this amazing bond and we become stronger than ever. And now we're really enjoying the life and the love that we would not have had if we got divorced. What a... So that's what, what was it that sparked in you to get you to cause those changes or to come clean to your wife? Like what was ultimately the impetus for that? Well, the, what sparked the changes was my faith. I really came to faith during that time. So that's where I finally just surrendered. And I just like, God, I can't do it alone. I'm miserable. My life is falling apart. God, you know, I'm never happy. Like I have all this burden and pain. And I literally just gave it and surrendered. And um, honest, just between you and I, I mean, honestly, not many people, well, a lot of people agree to this. A lot of people have had this. Some people haven't. I gave my life to Jesus. And for me, it was, I was meditating as a Buddhist, seeing a glowing cross. And it was like this spiritual experience I cannot explain. So I was into Buddhism and meditation. Next thing you know, I started seeing glowing cross. And I started reading more and more, listening to some sermons, spoke to me, changed me from the inside out. So after that, that was what changed me. Then I started writing these books. Then I started speaking and doing this work. And then I'm walking and then God literally starts saying to me, you got to tell her. 
Like mm-hmm. you got to tell her. just as I've had ideas for books. Yeah. yeah. You, you got to tell her like there's something holding your back and there's this. Well, that's, that's not as strong because of it. You've got to tell her. And so one day we're walking on the beach and I said, I got to tell you something. And it did not go well. My wife is Irish Catholic. She doesn't drink. She doubles up on the fighting. And, uh, and I was like, Oh, this is, this is, this is not good. Like she wouldn't talk to me for weeks. She was ready to divorce me. It was bad, but thankfully, you know, thankfully I kept on asking for forgiveness. She finally forgave. And that's when we really did the work. Like after that, we really invested more i would say that's when we totally started to invest really made a game plan around it yes around it and really started to do it together mm-hmm. and that's where i i in many ways started giving to her even more where i was on the road a lot all, all the time now even though i was on the road i was much more engaged in us and i also stopped traveling as much to spend more time with her and the family and that was a game changer too so i became a much bigger investor in the relationship well, I applaud you. I mean, that's a lot of work to do, but um, it just shows, you know, the value that you had on that relationship and what you were willing to do and your wife as well to be able to get to that place. What a what a gift for you. She deserves all the credit in the world. I mean, she was always great in the relationship. And I share that in the book. Like she was the rock star. You know, it's cool. People are reading the book and they're like, wow, John, you come across as very average, but your <laughs> wife, your wife is the rock star. And I you- love that because she is, she is the rock star. And, and what she did to, to help us stay together is everything. You know, what's funny after I told her that's when I wrote the carpenter. It's when I wrote the power of positive leadership, the power of a positive team, all like my best selling books besides the energy bus happened after I told her and went to the next stage of my own growth and my career. Well, I can only imagine the weight that was lifted from you and the, you know, just the clarity that you probably would be able to have and not have to hold that back anymore. Well, I can talk to you forever. I know you uh, got a lot of things going on. You got so much going on. Where can people find, um, where's the best place to go, John, for people that want to find out more and, and read all these amazing books and find out more about your relationship grit book? They can just go to johngordon.com, J-O-N gordon.com. Or if they go to relationshipgritbook.com, relationshipgritbook.com, there's actually a free action plan that we want couples to use with the book that will help them so they can go there as well. And I'm on social media, Instagram, Twitter at J O N Gordon 11. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time. It's been a pleasure and it's, it's a treat to have all this amazing material out there to share with my audience. So thank you again, John. Hey, thanks Jimmy. I appreciate you. Thank you for listening to the Jimmy Rex show. Please let me know your thoughts on the show, what you liked, what you didn't like, what you thought of the guest. The feedback is extremely valuable to me and also what we're doing. Um, Also, if you haven't had a chance to get my new book yet, you end up where you're heading, The Hidden Dangers of Living a Safe Life. Please head to mrjimmyrex.com and you can get a copy there. Uh, Also, this episode is brought to you by Trillion Mortgage. Uh, Over at Trillion, Steve DeYoung is my go-to guy when it comes to all things related to mortgages. After being in the industry for 15 years, having sold nearly 2,500 homes, there's no one else I trust more than Steve and his team over at Trillion Mortgage. So thank you again for listening to the show. Please again, head to iTunes, leave a review and subscribe so you don't miss our next episode.